I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood as I finally watched the Mr. Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I'll tell you why you should watch it too. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I'll tell you why you should watch Gotti for maybe five minutes. <laughs> and I'll also review The Upside. First, it's the news from the couch. Honey, mm-hmm. what would happen if the greatest scientists on Earth got together to mate nature's two most violent predators? Are we talking about Croctopus in 3D? At 210. Book it! Last year in late January, we told you ABC's Modern Family will come to an end after its 10th season, which wraps up this year. ABC has done an about-face, renewing the show for an 11th season. And then it will end. They say they realized they still had more stories to tell, so they thought, let's go for one more, and then it's over. That means no more Claire and Phil. Phil is going to bomb. It's not that he's not fun. He is so fun. He's just not funny. It's probably my fault because I laugh at all of his jokes with my mouth, not with my eyes. I see the great realtor Margaret Wilson is here looking more curvaceous than ever. Talk about your balloon payments. No more Mitch and Cam. Wait, 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 what are you doing? Uh, We're just going to buy some diapers. It'll just take a second. This is Costco. Yeah, which is where we buy diapers. Since when? Do you remember when we adopted that baby a few months back? Since then. Mitchell is a snob. No, 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 I'm, I'm discerning. Official slogan for snobs. When we first met, he wouldn't even look at me because I was a hick from the farm in Missouri, and he's a big city mouse. Who says city mouse? Country mice. No more Jay and Gloria. Sorry, sorry. Once I changed the earrings, I had to change the shoes. And then I tried on one of Gloria's old dresses, which made me feel like a 10-year-old boy. Uh, Your body is beautiful. I agree. Take it outside the family. Okay, we're ready to go. Oh, wait. I had the wrong list. That's it. I've had it. It's one minute. Nothing takes a minute with you. We're leaving right now. I don't care what you have to do. It's bad enough you're being rude to me, but you're being rude to the people sitting there waiting for us. Sorry, you're the first to arrive, and we can't see you till everyone's here. I hope you're happy. You also heard Manny and Haley in there. Don't forget about Alex and Luke, too, and Lily, and the other little kid whose name I can't remember. Do you remember? Joe? Sure. The show is averaging up to roughly 5 million viewers a week for its live audience. That's a decent audience, but in the past, the show had grabbed 14 million viewers. It was also named Outstanding Comedy Series at the Emmys for its first five years on the air. The show has also made big stars out of some of the cast, including Sofia Vergara, who plays Gloria. Day! 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 She made $42.5 million last year, largely in part to her many endorsement deals. That put her at the top of Forbes' highest-paid TV actresses list for the seventh year in a row. Wasn't even close. Kaylee Cuoco from Big Bang Theory was next in line with, like, $25 million or so. But there you have it. Modern Family coming to an end after season 11. But he was one of the best boyfriends I ever had. (laughs) But he was gay. Yeah. I figured that out after the first month when I stayed for a whole year because the haircuts were fantastic. (laughs) 
forgot it was still on yeah i literally forgot that i I jumped out a few years ago already and i mean i didn't even i well i guess you said we had mentioned that they had planned to quit after 10 i forgot that too yeah yeah i will confess that while i very much enjoy modern family i have not watched it for a while because i have i think 28 or 29 probably 29 episodes now of it on my pbr all all of last year and whatever this year sort of deal yep ish pretty much yeah I, I, i think actually no some of last year and all of this year so far I just have, haven't been able to motivate myself to watch it, but I think I've also been saving myself for like one massive Modern Family binge. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not going to wait until the end of season eleven. I do intend to to get to it because I know there was a big character death in last season, and I don't know who it was. <laughs> I somehow have managed to avoid spoils on that. And I should also point out too that I put Modern Family in my favorite shows of the decade. When we yeah. did our favorite shows of oh, the first from, 10 years, the, the aughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was only on for one season, and one of my buddies was saying, you can't put that in your favorite 10 shows of the decade after one season. I'm like, oh, just watch me That's do it. Cool. So that means for this year, I get to include, or this decade, I get to include Lost because it ran for five months in 2010 before the finale? Yes. Why not? Oh, it's dangerous. It might be number one. I think I think one <laughs> season had actually aired already. I have to go back and double check that It now. did, I think. It did start in 2009. I okay. believe so. Because it, it, I remember that Modern Family and Community started at the same time, and all the nerds on the internet kept fighting over which one was better. Okay. As though that matters. Like, oh, you can't watch two shows a week? Come on. Who cares? <laughs> so there you go. Modern this? Family. Yeah. Uh, what's next? We got our first look this week at the upcoming Fast and Furious spin off movie, Hobbs and Shaw. I'm dealing with the future of the planet. Necessary shock to the system. I am human evolutionary change. Bulletproof. Superhuman. Who the hell are you? Bad guy. The mission has been compromised. We need help. I wonder who they'll get to help. We're gonna need the best trackers in the business. Luke Hobbs. I'm what you call an ice-cold can of whoop-ass. Career lawman always gets his guy. We're going to need to operate outside the system. Deckard Shaw. I'm what you might call a champagne problem. Rogue former MI6 agent. Doesn't play well with others. If we stand a chance against Brixton, you guys have to work together. No way. This guy's a real... Hobbs and Shaw, a.k.a. The Rock and Jason Statham, need to take down Brexton, a.k.a. Idris Elba, who plays the bad guy. He's basically a supervillain, too, like he's scientifically modified himself to have super strength. We've joked about it before, but looks like the Fast and Furious franchise is now literally turning into a superhero franchise. Look at you. I'm trying to save the world, which, for the record, will be my fourth time. 
because I'm really good at it. The interplay between The Rock and Statham was by far the best thing about the fate of the Furious, and the whole operation is so ridiculous anyways that I am fully on board for this spinoff. It looks super fun and funny. Hobbs and Shaw hits theaters August 2nd. Three shocks will kill a man. There we go. It's a bad guy speech. You had to open your big mouth, didn't you, huh? Yeah, I thought it was a cool thing to say in the moment. How excited were you when you watched this trailer? I was so excited. It looks so much fun. It looks more fun than most, uh, even the last Fast and the Furious movies. Yeah, some of the action in this looks super intense, and it looks good. <laughs> like, there's uh, there's one shot of them in, it uh, looks like a giant dune buggy. I don't know what kind of vehicle Flying it is. Flying through the air? Yeah, and doing, like, this corkscrew move. While it's pumping hot lead into the buildings around it or something like that? Yeah. It's it looks insane. And then the, the, the shot where the rock jumps off of the building to land on a guy who's climbing down the building on a rope. Yeah, and rappelling then down, and he's, yeah, starts beating him up. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's so over the top, but it's self-aware, which is good. The, the uh, what's his name? Statham said, I'm a champagne problem. What, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Although it is funny, because he a- then takes that bottle of champagne and hammers it into a guy's throat. Oh, there you go. I guess it's that. So that would be a problem. Him with the champagne bottle versus John Wick with the book in that John Wick 3 trailer. I'd like to see that fight. Ooh. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. If we maybe they can do uh, some kind of a crossover eventually one day. Speaking of crossovers, do you think that uh, we see Vin Diesel in this movie at all? No. Even though it's Fast and Furious franchise and he's the guy? I can't see him getting over his ego to appear on the screen with the Rock. Maybe in a maybe in a post-credit scene or something. They got to do something to set up Fast 9, don't they? Oh, that'll be in the post-credits. Yeah. There we go. Up next we have a couple more news items including another show that has been renewed for an amazing 31st and 32nd season. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. News this week in a very literal sense about Tom Hanks' next movie. It's called News of the World and he'll play a newsman just like he did last year in The Post. This is a devastating security breach that was leaked out of the Pentagon. The most highly classified documents of the war. The Times has 7,000 pages detailing how the White House has been lying about the Vietnam War for 30 years. The way they lied, those days have to be over. According to The Hollywood Reporter, this new movie is set in the aftermath of the Civil War, and so it's out in the 1800s, and tells of a widowed newsreader who travels from town to town in Texas announcing the news of the times. Imagine if that's how we had to do it today. Go to every town and read the news to people in person. Be adventurous. It's true. He is given a handsome sum to deliver a young orphan girl whose parents were killed, and to her family in San Antonio, they travel 400 miles together through dangerous terrain, slowly developing a bond that'll be tested when the man must give the girl up to relatives that not only don't want her, but have bad plans for her. That's all from The Hollywood Reporter. The movie will be directed by Paul Greengrass, who did the second and third Bourne movies, and of course worked with Hanks on Captain Phillips a few years ago. Feeling guilty right now because I never did watch Captain Phillips. It was on my PVR, and I started to watch it. But it just wasn't in the mood for it. I think I yeah. started watching it on a summer day, and I just I think I just turned it off and went outside. It's intense. And uh, I haven't seen The Post either. Oh, really? And the Post is much less intense. What was the one that he did about, uh, didn't he do a movie, another Spielberg movie? Bridge of Spies. I haven't seen that one either. That's the one that should go at the top of the list that was... Really? Yeah, I remember the whole... T- I th- 
I missed it in theaters because I didn't like the title, okay. and, a, and the trailer just sucked. It was yeah. a bad trailer and yeah. a bad title. So I was like, nah, forget it. And then all of a sudden it got nominated for all these Oscars, so I had to do my, oh, my God, i got to see this movie now. So And it turned out to be, it's a terrific movie. It's very underrated. Okay, I'll check it out eventually. Yes. And also worth noting as well, we mentioned that we're going to be talking about the Mr. Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers in an upcoming film. Right. Out in October of this year, and it's going to be called It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. So Tom Hanks says Mr. Rogers. He looks great in the picture. Uh, dressed yeah. up like Mr. Rogers. He could uh, The voice. Well, we'll see about the voice. <laughs> yeah. Hard to mimic the, the voice. Maybe uh, he won't try to do a direct imitation because, as I'm about to tell you later, when uh, we get to the John Travolta as John Gotti, just trying to imitate somebody doesn't always work out. Okay. Looking forward to that. I can't believe you watched some of that. One more note <laughs> to pass along. He's the greatest guy in history. From the out of Springfield, he's about to hit a chestnut tree. Fox has renewed The Simpsons for an unprecedented 31st and 32nd seasons. By the time the 32nd season is complete, the show will have aired just over 700 episodes, 713 in fact. It already has the title of longest-running primetime scripted series ever. It's been on since I was in grade 7, for God's sake. It still averages roughly 5 million viewers an episode. I find that surprising. 5 million viewers. Still? Yeah. That is surprising, because I haven't watched it in years. Neither have I. And I think if you said, uh, name your all-time favorite shows, it would be on my top ten still. Yeah. Just with the strength of those first bunch of years, the first decade it was on, yeah. it's still amazing. If you look look through some of the, like, look through, just go to season five and just read all the episode descriptions, every single one is a Stone Cold classic. Yeah. And they did that for multiple years, so. But, geez, I mean, 31 and 32 seasons, that's insane. But, uh, like I said, if they're still getting five million, why would they stop? Especially in this day and age, five million lots. What did what did we say? Modern Family had four and a bit, uh, four and change. Still? Yeah. So there you go. I looked it up by the way during the break. Harry Shearer plays Skinner. Yeah. Seventy-five years old. Wow. Julie Kavner plays Marge is sixty-eight. Dan Castellaneta who plays Homer is sixty-one. So is Nancy Cartwright who plays Bart and Yardley Smith who plays Lisa is fifty-four. How old is Hank Azaria? Uh, that I did not look up. He's he's in his fifties too, though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They are clearly making so much money off of that show. They have. They probably have. I wonder what their net worth is as a cast. It'd be a lot by yeah. this point. Okay. And it's not that much work, and especially by now, you'd think that they can roll those out without breaking a sweat week in week out it's for prob- sure. And it's probably like two hours work a week tops. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. It's a hard life, I'm sure. Hey, we got a couple of minutes here. We'll just take a quick look at what is coming to home video. Starting with this. For the first time in my whole life, I realized I totally and utterly loved one person. And it wasn't the person standing next to me in the veil. It's the person standing opposite me now in the rain. Is it still raining? I hadn't noticed. Yeah, three months ago, I bought uh, four weddings and a funeral on Blu-ray, so of course, next week, a 25th anniversary edition is coming out on Blu-ray. <laughs> boy. That figures. It's one of my favorite rom-coms. It still is. So if you like four weddings and a funeral, or if you have someone in your life who does, pick it up next Tuesday. Make a great Valentine's Day uh, 
stocking stuffer? I don't know. <laughs> also on Blu-ray DVD list next week, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, one of the nominees for Best Picture and other Oscars, starring Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury. On Digital HD on Tuesday, The Favorite, another Oscar nominee, starring Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz, and Olivia Colman. Uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet. And the 30th anniversary Walt Disney Signature Collection edition of The Little Mermaid. Ooh, that'll be a good one. Those, yeah. uh, those Signature Collection editions of their classic films are always spectacular. Can you believe that movie's been th- out for 30 years already? Well, if The Simpsons has been on for 30 years, so, so why, why not? not? Yeah. Why not The Little Mermaid? <laughs> yeah, it is kind of funny to hear that, though. And especially uh, funny that it's coming out now because last week we had that music, Under the Sea, because we talked about that movie, Wonders of the Sea, oh, yeah. with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So there you go. Coming up next, Jeff is going to tell you the upside of watching Gotti. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We saw a couple of movies this week. We'll start talking about them right now with the one I saw in the movie theater. It's called The Upside. Penthouse. You need to wait your turn. Relax. It's not a holdup. Just sign this one, please. How would I sign it? I don't know. Slowly. Wait, don't your arms work? They don't. You can move your mouth. As can you. I need assistance. How much does it pay? Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Kevin Hart becomes a home care provider for a billionaire quadriplegic played by Brian Cranston. You are not qualified for this position. Oh. The buckle! Buckle! Uh. Have you ever changed a catheter? No. Pinch the head, insert. Mm. I can't feel it. Oh, well, I can. That was Nicole Kidman we heard there as Cranston's business associate. It's an odd couple feel-gooder with Cranston as a refined Richie Rich from Uptown and Hart, a two-bit hood from the wrong side of the tracks, but maybe, just maybe, they've got something to teach each other. I specifically said nothing for my birthday. I'm sorry you gotta have a surprise party in your huge mansion. Some of us got real problems. I'm fighting to see my son. And whose fault is it? Is it yours, or is the world out to get you? Are you mad? You want to break this big-ass bottle of wine? Yeah! What else you want to do? The bull! What? Dell made a mess. You know, I found it better than I was expecting. To be fair, the reviews have not been terribly kind, and it's been on the shelf for a while, so I think they made it in 2017. So the expectations were not hard to beat. Like I said, it's an odd couple story. It's that simple. The trouble is that while Kevin Hart's character's journey tracks well, Brian Cranston's doesn't really. Hart is an ex-con of robbery and also a hustler. We see him trying to stay on the good side of his parole officer by looking for work, but he's not really trying. He just wants to look like he's trying. He's also a negligent father and ex Mostly he's just selfish, only thinking of himself, which of course doesn't pay good long-term dividends. He falls sort of ass-backwards into this gig as Cranston's home care worker, and as he's forced to think about Cranston's needs and joins this weird surrogate family that also includes Cranston's business associate played by Kidman, he realizes that life is better when you put others before yourself. Pretty standard stuff. Hart sells it well. Cranston is a better actor, but his story kind of loses the thread. They sort of set it up that he's uptight and bitter about his accident that his paralyzed him, and you'd think that a wild card like Hart entering his life would help loosen him up, and there is that side to it, sort of, but they also make it 
really clear that Cranston hires Hart because he wants a wild card to shake up his life. There's this mischievous glint in Cranston's eyes when he's sizing up Hart at the interview. So those things kind of conflict, and both of those sides show up from time to time, so it's sort of confusing in that way. There's also a backstory with Cranston's past involving his wife that enters another element that only sort of felt half-baked and, again, didn't really gel with the rest of it. So there's a real problem there trying to figure out where he's coming from. The good news is, though, the chemistry between the two is enough to make it work. They make a good odd couple who are entertaining to watch. Kidman was in it a lot more than I thought she was going to be from the trailer and the ads. She's uh, sort of the stick in the mud that butts heads with Hart a lot. She doesn't have a whole lot to do dramatically, but I haven't seen her in a lot of stuff in a long time, so she was a welcome addition. I know she's been in lots of stuff. I just haven't seen that much of it. She's had the bit part in Aquaman last month that I saw and the bit part in Lion a couple of years ago. And before that, the last thing I'd seen her in was Australia, which is 11 years old at this point. People in the theater seem to be into the movie, so it's not a bad night out, but it's not a great movie. And I would say go see some of the other Oscar fare out there instead if you're going to the movies this weekend. Leave this one for a renter, three couch cushions out of five for The Upside. And another movie Kidman has been in recently is that Destroyer, yeah, yeah. which uh, recently just finally expanded. It. And I think it was only was only here for a couple of weeks, so just check your listings if you want to see. Uh, Destroyer might be playing, might not. What else did you she see? She looks creepy in that one. Yeah. Too freaky for me, man. Yeah. Uh, there's a terrible new movie on Netflix, one of the worst of 2018. John Travolta is John Gotti in Gotti. Let me tell you something. New York is the greatest city in the world, my city. I was a kid in these streets, and I made it to the top. I made my bones doing a piece of work for Don Carlo Gambino. Like that, I became a made man. Dad, I'm thinking maybe take a year off. <laughs> you want to hang out with me? <laughs> Do you know what you're doing to this family? I will build something that nobody can destroy. Salute. Warning, if you are a vegetarian, stay away from this movie. It contains 99% ham. Bazinga. Yoink. Nominated for seven Razzies, which of course are the awards for bad movies. What's up for Worst Picture? Worst Actor for Travolta. Worst Supporting Actress for his real-life wife, Kelly Preston. Worst Screen Combo for Travolta and Preston. Worst Screenplay and Worst Director for Kevin Connolly. E from Entourage? Absolutely. Travolta plays real-life gangster John Gotti, and the movie, I think, tells the story of his life. The timeline bounces around from scene to scene. It's hard to keep track of for a couple of reasons. There's no particular narrative thrust to it. And some of the actors look exactly the same in different timelines, which is weird, including his kid, who's like 14 in one scene and then supposed to be like 40 in the next scene, but he looks exactly the same. The visual style vacillates wildly from scene to scene as well. The director, E from Entourage, trying to figure out what the movie should look like as he goes along, I think. Mostly it's not interesting to look at, but then all of a sudden he'll try some slick move or a focus trick and it just feels clunky. It doesn't fit. This movie, the big takeaway is that this movie just so badly wants to be Goodfellas. But while the performances in Goodfellas, while foreign to us non-mod types in so many ways, still felt like real, natural performances, the Gotti performances feel like they're all in a Saturday Night Live sketch about the mob. Uh, And it tries to ape Goodfellas in a couple of very obvious ways, most notably the narration, like we heard there. This is New York, the greatest city, my city. It's just that accent, excuse me. It's bad all the time, and it's just more noticeable during the narration. And you never, like, I couldn't figure out how old the narrating version of him was because there are scenes where he's a very old man in prison, but the narrating voice is much younger than that, so 
Uh, it just doesn't. Usually, the narrating voice is the voice of the character at the end of the movie, right? Uh, at, yeah. Telling the story of what happened to him. Blah blah blah. This clearly isn't that. It just makes no sense. The movie also tries to introduce us to a bunch of uh, mob characters, as these movies do, but I couldn't keep track. Goodfellas again did that much better. Like they had that one gliding camera shot at the bar where the camera would just whiz by characters who would just look at it and say hello, and they'd move on. It brought us into the world, but also let us know that we didn't have to memorize names or really care who these guys were. With Gaudi, I couldn't tell who was supposed to be important and who was just a bit guy. I also couldn't see their faces a lot of the time because they were doing this stuff in a bar that was dark. So that was just dumb and it was loud in there and you couldn't hear what they were saying. But, I mean, honestly, Travolta's accent and his tough guy expression, he's trying so hard, and the harder he tries, the worse it is. You can't get over it. The movie also commits the biggest sin a movie can commit, Brett. It is boring. There is no story to speak of, and none of the characters are interesting. But I will give it no cushion rating, because I only watched 32 minutes of it before I had to turn it off. I just couldn't take it anymore. Really? Yeah. And if there's a bad movie and it's entertaining, I'll watch the whole thing. Yep. This is just not, it's just not entertaining. It's not even that. So you keep, given the fact that it, it turned, you, you had to turn it off. I sort of admire that you're willing to still not give it a rating, but the fact that it was so bad that you had to turn it off, you don't think that deserves When it something? came out in, in theaters, and I, I feel bad for the people who spent money on this, it had a 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, so I will I will pass that information along. It was at 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Good God. But honestly... Um, I don't know, maybe, like I said, at the top, watch five minutes of it just yeah. to get a feel for it. Uh, we we have one c- colleague who will remain nameless who enjoyed the movie, so... Really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, you can guess who it is. We okay. won't say it on the air. Okay. Uh, All right. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, it's just terrible, and it's going to win these Razzies, and it's just... Uh, it makes me wonder about, like, at this point, what is... When John Travolta retires, what are we going to say about that guy's career? Because I've looked through his IMDb a couple of times in the last week, and there's there, there were 64 entries since Carrie, since okay. his first big movie. Yep. And I counted 20 of them as either being movies that are got some sort of like decent reviews, or even if they didn't get decent reviews, were giant hits. Okay. Like Look Who's Talking. Yep. So 20 out of 64 and two TV shows. Yeah, have, is there anybody who's ever had such an up and down career it's where so he's weird. where he's loved and hated, and it, it, there doesn't seem to be an in between with Travolta no. because he he enjoyed that comeback after Pulp Fiction. Yeah, his like mid nineties are awesome, right? Yeah, and then but then since then, it's then just, he made Battlefield Earth, and yeah. that put his career back in the can, and then he seemed to enjoy like he. I liked him in that O.J. Simpson yeah, show. That was one of the two shows, that and Welcome Back, Cotter. Yeah. Right, where it was two good TV shows. Yeah, so, yeah, like he's capable of it. He can be a good actor when he, when it is required of him, but I don't know if he's, at the, well, at this point, he's probably taking what he can get because he's an older guy, but yeah. yeah, it's weird. I mean, a lot of guys have an up and down roller coaster career, but few go as high and as low as he does. Up next, won't you be my neighbor? You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. This week, I finally got around to watching something I have been waiting to see since March of last year when they released the first trailer. It's a documentary. Hey, fancy that. I never watch documentaries, but last week I watched that Ted Bundy thing on Netflix. And this week, also on Netflix, I watched a documentary about Mr. Rogers called... Won't you be my neighbor? It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? 
television program for children made its unauspicious debut on station WQED in Pittsburgh. Its host, Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers? Yeah. I want to tell you something. What would you like to tell me? I like you. I like you, my dear. Thank you very much for telling me that. You take all of the elements that make good television and do the exact opposite. You have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Low production values, simple set, unlikely star. Yet... It worked. The film sets out to remind us why Mr. Rogers was so important and how he was able to teach kids about life in such a unique way. He was on TV for like 40 years from the early 60s until August 31st of 2001. He died on February 27th, 2003. Won't you be my neighbor? Well, I suppose it's an invitation. It's an invitation for somebody to be close to you. The greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? And once again, as mentioned earlier, Tom Hanks is going to play Fred Rogers in a movie set for release in October that will be called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. 98% on Rotten Tomatoes for this documentary made an impressive $22.8 million at the box office, making it the 12th highest grossing documentary of all time. If you're curious what's number one, that's Fahrenheit 9-11 at $119 million, followed by March of the Penguins at $77 million. Then sadly, Justin Bieber, Never Say Never. Come on. At $73 million. Um, uh, it's also seen as one of the biggest, if not the biggest, Oscar snub this year, having failed to score a nomination for Best Documentary Feature. I knew I would like this film. I just needed to get around to watching it. I was sad when it was a limited release because it came out in early June, didn't open everywhere. Eventually it played in theaters mostly everywhere, but I never just got around to it. And it arrived on home video in late summer, but by then I'd kind of forgotten about it. So I got a text earlier this week from my buddy Burkus who says, hey... Won't You Be My Neighbor is on Netflix. Just arrived Friday. I'm watching it right now. It's good. So I says to him, I says, well, (laughs) shoot, I better get on that. So a couple of days later, I watched it, and it is spectacular. The nostalgia alone makes this worthwhile. I watched so much Mr. Rogers when I was a kid, and it really almost doesn't matter when you grow up because he was on for 40 years. Yeah. So he was like a part of almost all of our childhoods. Second... We get all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff, and I don't think I've ever actually seen Mr. Rogers speak outside the show. So it was neat to see all of this footage of him being a real person and not just Mr. Rogers, although the two are basically the same. But I think what was really great about this for me was getting to revisit Mr. Rogers now that I'm an adult and getting to see the complexities of the things that he did on his show, complexities that meant nothing to me when I was a kid. Like, for example, in the doc, he talks about how kids programming and this goes back decades when he said this but he talks about how kids programming was speeding up becoming more frantic to combat the attention span of children the waning attention span so he decided to go the other way and he would just use silence sometimes he would just stop talking and would do a mundane task you know like he'd build a puzzle or you'd see him cleaning something whatever he would just be silent for 60 seconds or two minutes and watching it again in the dock Watching him not speak was so compelling, and it teaches kids that it's not just okay to slow down, 
but sometimes it's actually important to slow down. Another example of things that he did that were really complex and big. Another example, Officer Clemens on the show, black man. There's a famous scene in the show from 1969 where he invites Officer Clemens to take his shoes off and join him in cooling off his feet in a plastic kiddie pool. And then there's this shot of black feet and white feet sharing the same pool. This was right around the time uh, the civil rights movement was ending. Some white people didn't want black people in their pools to the extent where, as you see in the dock, there's a white guy just dumping all sorts of chemicals in the pool to try to chase the people out of the pool. So Mr. Rogers wasn't afraid to teach kids about serious things, but he did it in such a simple and gentle way, and in a way that never came off as preachy. And that's a rare gift, to be able to teach an important message about society in a way where you're not preaching good for him he just had this innate kindness and knew how to bring it out of everyone he met yeah and it just and the lesson that he was teaching is just like be nice to everybody everybody deserves for other people to be nice to them and it was just like and he, like you said he wasn't preaching it just came across as common sense and how could you be anything other than nice to people yeah and uh, like even there's there was this guy who was interviewing him who asks him point blank about his sexuality and mr rogers just kind of calmly brushes it off and at the end at the end of the interview i think he made the guy cry because he made him like remember what it felt like to be yeah. a kid he was just i don't think i've ever seen anybody so kind so gentle so thoughtful and i also couldn't help but think since the show mr rogers neighborhood came to an end and since he died has the world become a better place no it's horrible that got me thinking yeah it was just a tv show surely it wasn't some sort of cultural glue that held society together but you can't help but wonder if mr rogers were still here what would the world be like anyway watch it it's amazing i'm gonna give it four and a half couch cushions out of five the only nitpick i can give it is it felt kind of haphazard at times but it's so good you should watch won't you be my neighbor that's all the time we've got i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes make sure you subscribe to the podcast and remember If it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.